What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Moving to Florida show. I am your host, Mohit Badlani, and today I have with me my, our co-host, Yaya Chotani. Unfortunately, Judson's still moving around. We messaged him yesterday. I was like, dude, you're ever going to come on the show again? He's like, yeah, man, I'm still stuck in the move. Yeah. My, my mic's still in the box. <laughs> so we got to get his mic out of the box. So some, one of us has to go there, open up his mic, and get it out of the box. So, But you have us two today. Um, it's going to be a little bit different show today. So, you know, we, we talk about lenders. We talk about lending, lending money. We talk about, you know, home, buying a home in Florida. What's the differences? We've talked about almost every almost every subject in the, in the, in the hemisphere when it comes to real estate in Florida. But we're going to do something a little bit different today. We're going to be role playing. So questions to ask when choosing a lender. And guess who we have on our show? We have a lender on our show. We're gonna put him to the test today. I, I know. I think he's gonna get a. He's gonna get a hundred. He's gonna get a hundred percent. But you know, we're gonna put him to the test today. What do you think? I think this is gonna be fun, man. This is gonna be exciting. It's. Uh, I. I don't know what you've got planned it, it's here. It's gonna be simple uh... questions. These are questions you should be asking your lender. And we're gonna do one where he flips it on me, and he's gonna be asking questions you should be asking your, uh, your realtor. Uh, when you are looking to purchase a home, we're gonna. There's two different ways now. We have purchase and sale of a home, and lending is just you know, just purchasing a home, <laughs> right? There's a, there's only one side. Well, you can refinance too, but that's a different side of the <laughs> spectrum. But we're gonna be talking about. We're gonna true. be asking, uh, yeah, yeah, some questions, or you should be asking these questions to a lender that you're gonna be choosing down the road when you are ready to buy a house. All right. You ready? Let's, Let's do, do it, it, man. So there's going to be some, I'm, I'm going to break it down to two categories, general questions and loan-specific questions. Now, when it comes to loan-specific questions, yeah, yeah, I'm going to throw a a number at you and what I qualified under, and then you can run your numbers that way. Uh, I don't I don't expect you to p- pull up your calculator or anything, but it's, it's not going to be uh, that intense, but we're going to be just tossing some estimates out. When it comes to loan specific questions, that sounds All awesome. Right? Man. I just just wanted to give you a, a little prep work, <laughs> not much, but a little. All right, <laughs> I'm going to start with some general questions. All right, so what are the most popular mortgages you offer, and why are they so popular? You know, that's a very good question, man. So, some of the most popular mortgages we offer are the usuals, the FHA's, the conventionals, the VAs, and in today's market, there's a lot of non-QM mortgages. And the reason why we offer these is because FHA conventional and VAs are you know, pretty staple products. Everybody needs those. And I personally work with a lot of veterans. So I love working with that. But the non-QM loan I'm talking about is basically a product where if you are self-employed and you don't fit in a standard lending box, then you can use these products to qualify for a loan and still purchase a home which is why we use those. Those are the four major areas I would talk about. Okay, awesome. All right. Uh, Are your rates, terms, fees, and closing costs negotiable? So I'll start from the bottom. Closing costs are not something that we lenders dictate pretty much. There's very few things that go into it, like appraisal, which is not something you can negotiate because it's an appraising company. You know, they, they come up with the appraisal on that. The other thing is a credit reporting fee. These things are pretty basic. And again, they depend on the kind of lender you're working with and the quality of service they're using. Apart from that, 
in your closing costs, you're probably going to have something like if you're working with a broker origination points, or if you're paying for a rate, which is very specific to a client, is your discount points. Those are non-negotiable because those are not some things you negotiate. You basically just look at how the market reacts. Now, if you're working with a broker, they put their commission on top because it's a broker paid commission. So then you can negotiate with them on that. But again, you know, it it's a very interesting question because in this industry, to make it very easy for you to understand that, it's you kind of get what you pay right. for. So let's say you went to me, you went to a credit union, and you went to a broker. Three different people, three different rates, three different things they're doing. Now, each of these entities will offer you different things. So you have to understand what your experience level is and what your stress level you want to create and what kind of experience you want. So if you go to a broker, they have access to multiple lenders. What they're going to do is they're going to charge you a commission on top of what the rate is. And they're going to you know, shop around, see what products works best for you. And it's great, but you're going to pay them a certain fee for it. Yeah, you can negotiate. But you know the thing is, if you negotiate, it just reduces the quality of service. Now you go next to a credit union. They will probably give you the lowest rates in terms of dollar amount. However, you may not get the same quality in terms of communication, in terms of follow-up, in terms of you know, surprises that you can expect because you are paying for that. And if you come to somebody like me, I'm a direct lender, yeah, we're probably going to be slightly higher than a credit union. We're probably going to be lower than a broker or pretty much in line or maybe better. However, you get something that's a constant follow-up. You get something that's a constant communication. You're always closing on time. And we specialize in mortgages. Not every bank specializes in a mortgage. So just think about it. If that's what I'm doing all day, every single day, versus somebody who's not doing right. it, the approach and the amount of dedication that will be put into that particular transaction is what would matter. So if you're seasoned, like Mohit here, you know, you're a real estate agent, you've bought you know, multiple homes, help people with homes. If you were buying a property, you could go either way because you know what to right. expect. But if somebody's a first time home buyer and they need their hand being held, then I would say work with somebody who would hold your hand, communicate with you, answer your calls and respond to you at least within 24 hours and not just tell you what to do and vanish for a week. That's a recipe for disaster. Right. All right. All right. Do you offer discounts for inspections, home ownership classes, or automatic payment setup? So those are very cool questions you got. So automatic payment setup is basically something that we normally don't handle right. on the front end. It's going to be the servicing company. So most people don't know this, and it's a very cool thing. I'll go into the other questions right after this. But when you purchase a home, the company that sold you your mortgage, mostly 95% of the time does not carry right. that mortgage, meaning they sell it. And the person or the other entity or the investor that picks it up, you have to now pay them. Right. It sounds confusing, but you know it's something that we can talk about more later on. And then you talked about something else. What did you talk about? Discount home on home inspections, inspections. So, and home ownership classes. Yes. So home ownership classes, home inspection, all these things depend. Currently, we don't have any programs that offer that. But home inspection is something that typically is done a third party. So you go contact somebody. We have referral partners that give great discounts on them. And you know, if you want to work with us, we provide those and you can go with them. They have great services. But in the lending business, there is restrictions. Mm -hmm. And this happened in 2010 after that crazy 2008 debacle happened with all these you know, collusions yep. of all yep. kinds. 
lenders go through a lot more scrutiny oh, now. Okay. And if I give too much money to clients, it seems off as if I'm forcing a transaction right. to happen. So if I pay for an inspection or I pay for this or I pay for that or I, you know, basically comp right. things, it seems like, hey, I'm doing somebody a favor. It's like a red flag. And especially, it's a little bit, yeah, because it's, we have anti-predatory laws. We have a lot of different types of things. And even on concessions, there is a limit how much a lender right. can give. And when you give too much and you do it too consistently, as a lender, we can get our license revoked. We can be, you know, called out for fraud. Plus... It doesn't look strong on your file and it poses more questions, makes it more difficult sometimes. So we kind of right. stay out of that. We stay as much in compliance as we can to make sure we don't break any rules or regulations. So no, we don't offer that. But, you know, homeownership classes are like $99, right. man. <laughs> so it's like, I mean, you know, if it, in fairness, though, if you can't pay for that, then how are you buying a home? Because right. you need a down payment. So you have to have some financial standing to be able to True. make these moves. True. All right. Uh, will I have to buy private mortgage insurance? If so, how much will it cost and how long will it be required? That really depends on the type of loan you get. So, I mean, if you put 20% down, you have enough equity. You don't need to get PMI. If you get a standard conventional loan, you put less than 20%. You will pay a PMI on it. And it's going to be a certain percentage, which is very specific because it depends on your debt to income ratio, your overall loan profile. And based on that, it could be 0.7%. It could be 0.9%. could be 1%. could be 0.5%. Really depends on the loan. And you don't have to pay it for the life of the loan on a conventional loan. As soon as you get 80% equity, you can refinance it. Or here's a tip, pro tip. Even if you don't refinance, you can just call up your servicing company and tell them you've been paying this mortgage, you paid extra principal, whatever you did, and the value of your home now exceeds this much based on what your loan amount is. And if your equity is over 20%, you can get your PMI canceled. Now, the only time you cannot cancel it is when you have an FHA loan, but FHA just did something really cool this year is they lowered their mortgage insurance premium right. cost by 40%. And their rates are also much better than a conventional loan. So if somebody's trying to buy their first home, it's absolutely awesome to go in and get an FHA loan because your rates are better, your fees are better, plus you qualify better. And if you have any credit challenges, they are a little bit forgiving on that. And with the way today's market is, even if you got a higher rate, you could just refinance that instead of, you know, doing the servicing cancellation on your PMI and you could go work that way. All right. All right. I have one more question. I don't know if this one will fall under your guidelines. I think it's more of a title company question, but I think it's for like people up north that may have this question. Um, what escrow requirements do you have? What, sorry, what escrow requirements? Escrow requirements do you have? I don't know why that came up in one of the questionnaires. I saw this in a bunch of questions. So I was like, yeah. No, that's a good question. That's a very good question. So escrows are calculated, again, based on a few things. So if your taxes are, for example, if it's a new build, and we have no idea what taxes yeah. are going to be, depending on lender to lender, they have different guidelines. So just to use an example on a standard conventional mm -hmm. loan, we normally do two months of reserves on your taxes and right. insurance and prepaids. It really depends on the property as well. And it depends on the overall risk. So it's not something that I can answer 
uh, as a, I would say, standard answer. But these are things that are calculated purely based on a file and what timing you're closing. So if you're closing in the beginning of the month versus the end of the month, then you may have a little different escrow comparatively because you're now going to pay more prepaid interest and then you're going to close. So we're going to collect taxes up front. Or if you're closing closer to the end of the year, then you may have to pay the full escrow. So it really depends. And the best way to get that answered is, honestly, you don't even need to do a you know, much of a pre-qualification, just call up a lender and say, Hey man, I'm trying to buy a house. Can you give me just an idea mm-hmm. of roughly what my reserves would be? Sorry, my escrows mm-hmm. would be. And we can just look at the property details, get a rough idea. Right. It's not going to be accurate, give me an estimate. but give you an mm-hmm. estimation. Yeah. Like, Hey, you know how much is going to be based on that? So you can always get that That's answer. Cool. All right. These are going to be more loan specific questions, but I'm going to run you my scenario, right? I, me and my wife make a combine of $300,000 a year. Her credit score is a 780. My credit score is a 680. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm a 1099, but I have two years worth of tax returns that say I've made more than the previous year. And my wife is W-2 and she just got a raise this year. Our credit card debt is around forty grand. And what's your monthly payment minimum on, on that credit card? On the credit cards altogether, our m- monthly minimum is fifteen hundred. Any other kind of debts? We do have two cars. What are the total combined payments on those? Fifteen hundred. Any other debts? Uh, no, we sold our house, <laughs> so we have no other debts. No, no uh, medical debts okay. and no uh, student debts. Okay, and your question is going to be, how much can I no, purchase? I, I'm going to go one by one uh, on the on the questions that sure. I have. This is just a scenario, so you have it, right? All right. Sounds what good. would be included in my mortgage payment? Home insurance, property taxes, etc. What is included in my mortgage payment? So, in your mortgage insurance, you're going to have your first mortgage, principal, and interest. You're going to have any other financing if you have a down payment assistance or anything like that. You're going to add that in there. Your homeowner's insurance, hazard insurance, your property taxes, your mortgage insurance, your HOA fees. And that's about HOA it. HOA fees? Which shorts for PITIA. P-I-T-I-A. Mm-hmm. If you have an HOA. Yeah, I have an HOA. So by, I understand you guys calculated, but it's not part of the mortgage payment itself. But you calculate it into the mortgage payment. Yeah, so it's going to be compared to your debt-to-income right. ratio. But you're going to make it yourself in terms of payment. We're not going to collect right, that in right. your payments. But this that wouldn't be in, mm-hmm. that wouldn't be included in my mortgage payment, though. No, no, no. It's not going to be included in the mortgage payment right. itself in actuality. But while calculating your okay. loan, I will include that in my right, numbers. Cool. All right. Now, here's a big question: What type of mortgage plan would you recommend for my situation? So for you, it's pretty straightforward. Um, Let's say you've been in the business for at least five years and we'll take the number 300,000 as your gross income to make things easy. So let's say in your gross income and your wife's gross income combined, total, you guys made 300,000 and that's your income I'm going to use, right? Now, if she did have a raise and she's been on the job for more than two years, I can use that raise. But for this purpose, to keep things simple, I'm not not going to use it. Now, right? So if I take your em- employment of 300,000 and I divide that by 12, that's about $25,000 right. monthly. Now, based on that, I also need to know how much are you putting down. So, give me an idea. How much are you we looking to put down? We want to put down, down the minimum. Point? 
we want to put mm-hmm. down the minimum amount. If it's five percent, we'll put down five percent. Okay, so if now we qualify for three and yes. a half. We'll put down three and a half. Okay, so then in your case, you would qualify for a minimum of five percent down, and you actually can buy a property. Let's play with some numbers mm-hmm. here. Let's do mm-hmm. some math. But before you start it, why can't I qualify for the three percent conventional? I mean, you could qualify for it. It's not that you wouldn't qualify uh-huh. for it, but what you would have to do is limit your purchase power because FHA has restrictions on property right. purchase. So if you're you know, buying a house, for example, you have a family, you've got two daughters, two kids, wife and yourself. Right. Let's say you want to buy a house and give me an area. Winter give Garden. Me an area. <laughs> Winter Garden. So average home price in that area, I would say exceeds 500000 correct? So FHA would allow you to buy a single family home and the maximum purchase price, I believe, is four seventy-two. dollars with the right. loan amount. Now, if that home falls under that range, you can use the 3.5% FHA. But if that purchase price goes above that and your loan amount exceeds the county limit, then you won't qualify for the FHA loan. What about loan. the 3% conventional loan? That is only available to first-time home buyers with area median income lower than 80%. Uh-huh. So your income is 300000 for right. example. And Fannie Mae has a program called Fannie um, Home right. Ready. So you can do 3%. They have a slightly better interest rate. However, you cannot make more than the 80%. So let's say in that area, and most areas are anywhere between fifty-five to sixty-five, seventy thousand dollars right. $70,000. So if you make more than 80% of that income, you're not going to qualify for it. You make more, too Fantastic. much money. All right. Sounds good. So let's continue back. <laughs> I guess we were on the, what type of mortgage plan would you recommend for my situation? So I would say that the best, easiest way for you to go would be a conventional ro- loan, because I'm assuming based on property values, right, you're going to buy a home that's more expensive in that area, just because you're yes. forced to do it, even if you don't right. want to. So if you were to buy a home and you want to put the minimum down, let's say you're buying a home, how much is a, how, what kind of home would you buy? Uh, single example? family. Would you buy four, five, yeah, six bedrooms? Single bedroom? family, four bedroom. Let's do, just just try to keep it simple. Single family, four, four, two and a half, four, three, uh, a little less than 3,000 square feet. Anywhere from and 20. Based on your expertise, what's the average price of a home of that nature in that area? 650. Okay, so if I take 650 and I put the lowest amount of money down, that's 5%. Mm-hmm. You're putting 32,500 right. down. Now, I'm just using a rate. This is not an actual rate. Rates are just all over the place. But just to be a little more, I would say, on the negative side, I'm going to use 7.2%. Yep. Okay. So if I use that, just an example 7. rate. 7.2. Your eighty, yeah. <laughs> well, it's twenty twenty three, my man, and uh, you know we are in in some pretty pretty insane market. What do you mean seven point two five percent? Yeah, what, what do, do you, you mean? mean? Right? It's like, uh, it's like, whoa, 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 hold on, buddy, hold on. So, if we look at six fifty uh-huh. with a five percent down, that's a total of thirty two thousand five hundred, and your mortgage on this. Let's break that down a little bit. So let's do some math. So what's the average tax rate in that area? 1%, 1. 1.5%? 1. 1.3 something. What's, uh, well, let's take 1.5, which is the highest point. Okay. So let's I think that's Orange this. County itself, 1.5. 1. 1. Yep. Yep. And let's I think I think Lake Nona is so. higher, even though they're Orange County. <laughs> oh, really? <Yeah. laughs> it's... It's oh, wow. because it's Lake Nona. 
Yeah. And is there any HOA in that area? You would uh, in uh, that yes. house? So an average in this, in this, in winter garden would be around $200. $200. Okay. So here's what we did. I don't know the insurance. So we're just going to assume, and I'm going to put $250 okay. a month, unless you can give me a number. Uh, let's, let's keep it at what I've been seeing lately, which is uh, around $2,300. Okay. So let's take $2,500 round up, $2,500 a year. So twenty five hundred. So remember, we always calculate yeah. monthly. So that's two hundred and eight dollars yeah, a month. So, so yeah, I would say two. Let's do two hundred and eight. Yeah. Right. So now your principal and interest on that mortgage is about four thousand two hundred and fifty eight dollars. Your homeowner's insurance is two hundred and eight dollars, which is twenty five hundred divided by twelve. We took a one point five percent tax rate, which comes up to about eight hundred and twelve dollars yeah. a month. We took your mortgage insurance as 0.8, which is an yeah. estimate, and that's $411 a month. And we took your homeowners association dues at 200 a month. So now your total mortgage payment, including everything, is about 58.90, which we're going to count towards your debt to income. And because of your income, you still have a lot more room. So if you wanted to buy more house, you could buy more house. But just for the purpose of keeping this simple and you know helping our right. audience here, on a conventional loan... We normally don't like to go over 45% in your debt to income ratio, which basically simply means your monthly debt, which Mohit talked about, his car payments and credit card payments, that plus your expected monthly mortgage payment, including your homeowners insurance, sorry, your uh, HOA, that total number cannot exceed 50% of your total monthly income. So in this case, your monthly income is 25,000, right? And our expected total monthly debt is 8890 which is about 35.5% of your total income. Now, like I said, 50 is like the absolute red zone. We like to not see that go over 45 because properties are supposed so specific that if I reduce this HOA to zero, your DTI will drop. If the taxes go down from 1.5 to let's say 1.3%, your DTI will go down. Your insurance, if you're buying a townhome, is going to be lower than a single family home because most HOAs sometimes cover roofs and such and right. such not. So that would lower that. So there's a lot of different variables that can affect your payment. But to make life a little easier, in this, your down payment is only thirty two grand on a six fifty thousand dollar house, which is, you know, and you can still afford okay. more on this. What's what would be my maximum? What would be a maximum? Let's play with that. So let's do. Ooh, let's play around here, man. This is fun. All right, so 40. Sorry for the yeah, clicking okay. noise. I know it's kind of loud. He's, uh, but, he's uh, just playing with his uh, son's calculator. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm like that guy at the airport that you go talk to him and all you hear is keyboards clack, 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 clack. And it's like, dude, what the hell? Like, I just asked you what time of day it is. And it's like, clack, 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 clack. It's like, what? Yeah. Like, I have to get the I have to get the exact calculation like, of what time of day it is. <laughs> I know. I'm like, bro, what look are at you, your watch. What bro. are you typing? I'm like, <laughs> I'm not even. And sometimes you don't even say a word, and they keep typing. I'm like, what the hell? And are there's you nothing typing? they're typing. Like, they're just what is just, that? They're just doing <laughs> ASDFGH. <laughs> they're just clicking, <laughs> <laughs> trying to blow right. me away. Now, just for the just for the purposes uh-huh. of this um, discussion here. So now. Something interesting happened while Mohit and we talked about him asking for the absolute max. Now, in the area, uh, the conventional conforming loan limits 
are about 750 something thousand. I forgot the exact number, but I have to look it up. And now we're exceeding that number because of your income being so generous here. I'm going above that. So when I go above that, now I enter the space of something called a jumbo mm. loan. And a jumbo loan typically costs a little bit more in you know overall cost because obviously now you're borrowing a huge yes. chunk of change. But in your case, we are going above the 950 range. So with $300,000, of course, and your debt, you could well over buy a house between, I would say, up to a million here or slightly higher. And you can put the minimum of 5% down, which is $50,000. And we still have a little bit of room. So I would say probably 1.1, 1.2, you know, we can go there. But that would not be a standard conventional then. It would be a high balance or jumbo loan right. at that point. Yikes. <laughs> no, I'm not I'm not trying to think of a going 1.1, 1.2, but you know, that sounds good. <laughs> but you see, it's, yes. it, it opens it, up some, it some opens doors up a lot there, more right? doors. So, you get more flexibility here now. So you get to, you get, I mean, yeah. if there's something remember, specific again, you want in the house, <laughs> you probably will find it under that million dollars. Exactly. Plus, remember, I'm just, I'm not changing the taxes, which I have to keep right. doing. And this is the question that I think it's very important that we talk about this today is it's not that easy always to answer a question. Hey, how much home can I afford? Because it goes into a lot of different factors. I mean, you can live in Lake Nona, sorry, yeah. Lake Nona, and you can go live in uh, Daytona Beach. And the tax brackets there are very different. And between there being the insurance is going to cost you more if you're in this flood zone, you're going to need flood certification, you're going to need a lot of different things versus you living in the middle of Orlando. Right. So it really comes down to a very specific right. point. But on a lender perspective, there are a couple of things a lender needs to look at. Your assets, mm. what is your source of funding the down payment and closing mm. cost? Your credit, what your credit score and your ability on paying back loans is. Your liabilities, what liabilities you have broken down into monthly payments. We don't look at the total loan right. amounts. And, uh, wow, I lost my train of thought. So assets and, and your income, how much right. money you make, right. basically. Because your income is going to dictate what you can afford. And your income has to be either stable or increasing. And for standard, regular, conforming loans, which are FHA, conventional, you know, USDA, VA, typically... Uh, I'm not going to go into VA, sorry, but typically it's you need to have at least two years of employment right. and you need to have a projected 36 months of continuous employment. And that will put you in a position with a lender where they will document your income. And this is a misconception, by the way. People think they have to do the same exact job. If you're a W-2 mm -hmm. and you are doing a W-2 job and there's no uh, gaps of exceeding six right. months and your income is the same or increasing, and you haven't changed the scope of your employment completely, uh -huh. then it's okay, right? So it doesn't, it's not, not a, a bad, bad thing. thing. But you need to have at least, mm -hmm. yeah. And in some, some conditions, if you have 12 months, you may get away with it, but it really depends on your overall credit profile and compensating right, factors, right. you know? Like if you have a great credit score, you make good money, you have a good down payment, you pay all your debts on time, but you've only had a job for one year, but you're let's say working as a tech analyst or you're working in Lockheed Martin or you're working as an x-ray technician and you were studying for the last two years for this diploma. In those right. cases, that can work because you're displaying that, hey, I had a speciality. I make this much money. I'm taking care of myself because at the end of the day, a lender is looking at the risk. That's all it right. is. It's risk analysis. Cool. That was a, that was a good scope on things. 
Um, you answered this question already, but I'm just going to ask you again. Uh, who, ser- who will service this loan, your bank or another company? So that's a very good question. And most of the time, what happens is a lender directly who lends you the money doesn't always hold the mortgage. Because believe it or not, it's, we'll just go into a little detail here for the fun of it. But you are actually the main person who's lending the money in the mortgage industry. Believe right. it or not. Your 401ks, your IRA accounts, those are the ones that right. are lending it. It's so your own money coming back to you. I give you the money. <laughs> exactly. So I give you the money uh, You know, as a lender. You buy the house. Now I sell this mortgage, this loan, to a servicing company to manage. They manage it. They collect your payments and all whatnot. And then an investor in Wall Street purchases this mortgage. It could be, let's say, I'm PRMG. Let's say a Mary home comes and buys this mortgage from me. Now they're going to send you a letter and it's going to state, hey, we're taking over your mortgage and you're going to send your payments to us. And you're going to have a certain amount of days to make that change. And typically you can verify this with your lender. So if I did a loan on your house and you got this letter in the mail, I would highly recommend, please call me and tell me, hey man, listen, I got this message in the mail. want to make sure it's right or wrong because I will get notified when your loan is sold. And I will know it so I can verify that. So you don't pay somebody else and get scammed out of money. Yeah, I'm going to cut now, you off here real loan, quick before you move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Can I tell you in my instance, no, I don't want you to sell my loan to someone else. I still, I want to be serviced by you. Do I have any say? Uh, no, you don't. Because the thing is, it's, it's a secondary market. Right. So it's the thing is, and it's not actually a big concern yeah, to the client. I just wanted to make that clear with everybody money. out there. You don't have no say when it comes to <laughs> once your loan is sold, you have no say where it's going. <laughs> and honestly, I wouldn't be concerned right. about it because it's really not, it doesn't impact you right. in any way. You're still making your payments. Everything on your side is, remains the same. The only thing that happens is You're just writing a check to that on the person. back end. <laughs> exactly. That's it. You're just making your payments. It's not changing right. anything. Nothing is happening. But this loan is now being sold to different, different people all the way back to Wall Street. Right. And then Wall Street sells it to individual brokers who work for financial management companies. And when your you know, financial planner says, hey, let's invest in you know, this or we have a healthy mix of, of bonds or securities we invest in for a 5% return, that's what they're investing in. Right. And most of the time, they invest in something called a mortgage-backed security, which is your mortgage sold on the secondary market, and you pick up a percentage on it. So that's how it works. It's very interesting. I know it's a little nerdy, but uh, right. <laughs> it's so, fun yep, to share yep. this. All right. Here, here's, here's one that you probably hear all the time. How long will the rate on this loan be in a lock-in period? And will I be able to obtain a lower rate if the market rate drops during this period? So, yes, there are a couple of things you could do. So most of the times when you lock a loan, it ranges between 15 days minimum to all the way to 60 days. But when you lock a loan, you are subject to the cost of the length. So if you lock a loan for 15 days, it's cheaper than locking a loan for 60 days because essentially you're exposing the lender to a higher risk by saying, hey, hold this rate for me for 60 days instead of 15 days. So as the market shifts, they now have to manage the back end of their investments to secure this rate for you. So they're exposing themselves. Now, when you lock in a rate, you can always change it, but every lender has specific guidelines to lock changes and lock, you know, uh, there's a term for that. I forgot that term, but 
that's basically what it is. So if you come to me and you're Mohit, like, hey man, listen, uh, it's five percent rate. I want to lock it in, and let's keep it. Okay, cool, man. Let's let's do it. A week later, you find out rates are going to go down to four percent, or four and a half percent, or four point eight seven five percent for the matter. And you come to me, you're like, hey man, I want to relock my loan. I'm like, man, it, according to our rules, you can't relock the loan unless there is this much change in the rate. Oh, so if there got to be a significant and change, if or according to you. There has to be not a significant, but it has to be based on guidelines. what you know the guidelines for each lender is, right? And you have to still pay a cost because now the lender is going to change your rate. And depending, again, on the lender, each lender is different. Some may have a small fee, some may have a flat fee, some may have a percentage, and they will hit you for it. So if you're changing from 5% to 4.875% or 4.5%, you really want to understand why. And these are things you should always ask in the beginning and address these because That's once you lock a rate in the play, transaction. Now, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, it's it's really cool you do that because we do this as part of our consultation. Right. So in my office, whenever somebody does a pre-approval, we do a 30-minute loan consultation once they're pre-approved, or even if right. they're not pre-approved. So this would be this would and all we fall break under down your loan, the loan consultation. File. Exactly. And we talk about something that's called a locked rate versus a quoted rate. Because when you get pre-approved, your loan is not locked. So the interest rate doesn't really mm -hmm. matter because you're not locking it. And then we talk about locking strategies based on your specific purchase. Because if Mohit wants to buy a house in the next two weeks and he's under contract, it's a very different loan lock versus somebody who's going to buy a house in three months that's being built and they're waiting for it. And the market may be subject to different things. So you also want to look at something that we share is, okay, what's the difference between a 4.8 versus a 5? Mm. And if, what's that monthly payment? So you want to look at the overall cost over a period of two, three, four, five years to see what it really impacts you personally. And that's what we do in the consultation. So it's, it's good you brought cool. that up. I would always advise people to have this conversation with whoever their lender right. is in right, the beginning. Right, and that's why we're asking these questions. All right, now, how long will the loan approval process take? So it could be as little. So when you say loan approval, are you talking about a pre-approval or a loan approval once the loan has been pushed to submission? Uh, once a loan has been pushed to submission. So it takes anywhere between three to five days okay. if the file is complete. Okay. If it's, let's say, incomplete, and Moet is uh, one of those people that's taking, you know, some vacations while <laughs> buying a home and I can't reach him. And I'm like, Moet, I need this document, man. Come on, bro. He's like, man, I'm sipping a margarita. Can I call right. you next week? <laughs> then it could take a little longer. But but on average, uh, based on today's market, though, you know, and uh, we make light of this, but in seriousness, everybody has a busy right. lifestyle. So if you can provide your lender the documents they require before the end of uh -huh. day, they can use it the same day. That would greatly reduce the time. But anywhere from uh, an approval that needs to happen can happen between five to 10 business okay. days. It can happen between that, unless you're having trouble with some conditions that you need to provide, of right. course. How long will it take to close the loan? So loans can close as little as 10 days, 15 days, 20 days. It really depends on your right. scenario. To give you my example, when I bought my house, I did something that's called a pre-underwritten loan. Okay. So to make myself more appealing to so the seller. Because you're so smart. 
and more you're con- so smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's not really about the smart thing, you know. It's it's just about being considerate, right? So if let's say Mohit, you're the listing agent, and I'm reaching out to you, and here's my offer: Hey, Mohit, listen, man, I'm trying to buy a house. I'm a lender, but guess what? I have my loan pre-approved, and it's been pre-underwritten. All I need is the contract for this purchase, an appraisal, and to submit my most recent pay stub, and this loan can close in the next 15 days. And I'm, you know, completely open to what the seller wants to do in terms of closing date, but that's as fast as I can close. Now, on your side as a listing agent, what are you looking for? A strong offer, right? You want to make sure if it's a finance offer, it's going to close. It's not going to make you put it back on the market. You're not going to get a runaround. You don't want to extend the date and you don't want to push closing. So when you come up with that, it makes it a lot easier. So if you're someone who is, you know, really looking to make the move and you're like, hey, man, I want to buy a house in the next 30 days, you can take the step. You can talk to your lender and say, hey, can we do a a TBD underwrite, which basically means we take your loan, we pre-approve you, and we collect every single document that we would need for an actual loan application, give it to the underwriter. They come back to us and they tell us, okay, we're good to go. Pick a property, get a contract, get an appraisal, and we should be good to go. And then you can close in 10, 15 days very, very quickly. And it makes your offer look very strong too. Um, Most people on average, I would say it takes about 30 days, right? On an average. Yeah, I would say between 21 to 40 40 days, between that. So I'll take the median. (laughs) I'll take the middle. (laughs) Do 30 days. (laughs) All right, sounds good. Um, Are there any charges or penalties for prepaying this loan? So there are no prepayment penalties and there cannot be prepayment penalties on primary home loans. It's against compliance. You cannot be charged that. But you can get prepayment penalties on investment loans. Okay. How much will I be paying total over, over the life of this loan? So going back to my Ooh. example, 650 house, right? Mm-hmm. We got it. We, it's closed. Uh, what, is, what will I be paying total over the life of this loan? 2053. So let's That'd do this. 30 years. So yeah. let's take, let's see what this looks like. So 617,500. So you're looking at about 1.4 million roughly. 1.5 million. So, wow. Almost double, more than double of the of the loan that i'm getting wow mm-hmm. now this is a very cool question you asked because if you make extra payments right. per month of let's say 200 yeah, extra gonna, dollars that was my next question how do i shrink this i don't want to pay 1.4 for our six hundred fifty thousand dollars. so 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 let's just take the basic example right so let's say you put an extra 200 bucks a month just right. 200 and you do that for 30 years. Your mortgage actually falls from 30 years to 25 years and 11 months. So about 26 uh-huh. years. So you shaved off four years off your you know, mortgage from 30. And your interest extra that you're going to pay from 880000 drops to 736 So you almost save that much. It, it, that's a that's huge, a huge amount. Yeah. So now let's make it more fun. Yeah. If we take 500 bucks a month. That changes your total payments from 1.4, uh, 1.5 million to 1.2 million. Okay. Wow. That's, that's 300,000 300, so less to the bank. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And 
that's that's such a powerful thing because if you take think about it, two hundred and eighty two thousand dollars in savings, and your mortgage is now being paid off in twenty two years. So you saved eight years you on your mortgage. Eight years, fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Now, if you you know just put an extra ten thousand dollars a year, just going back to that. So every year, let's say you and your wife are like, hey, we're going to pay an extra ten thousand dollars total at mm-hmm. the end of a year towards our principal. Now, if you do that, you drop your payoff from 30 years to 19 years. So in 19 years, your home is paid off instead of 30. Think about <laughs> That's that. That's amazing. It's amazing. But the cool thing here is it's a cool question you asked because people always ask, hey, should I have biweekly, monthly, biweekly mortgage right. payments? And should I do a 15-year mortgage? See, the problem with a 15-year mortgage is you're committing to making those right. payments in, in 15 years. If you take a 30-year mortgage, you would now have an option. You can make your monthly payments, which are going to be a lot lower than 15 years. And if you have extra money, you can now put that exactly. You control. And you can even do biweekly payments because biweekly payments are just one extra payment right. per year. That's all it is. Yep, exactly. So it, it's really not that big of a difference. Sounds good, man. Good question, man. You got some cool <laughs> questions today. I like this. <laughs> all right, buddy. Uh, any other questions that I should be asking? Or you should be asking. Uh, um, I would like to ask you one sure. question to to help our bar. Sounds good. You know, so people so people always ask me this question, especially when they're buying a home. That hey, I have a lender. Okay, you're you know able to tell me enough about real estate. Um, when I'm buying a home, why should I hire an agent instead of going directly to the listing agent and saying, hey, give me two percent towards a concession? And I'll work with you instead of why should they go to a buyer's agent? Please, please answer this for me, man. I want people to know the answer. Uh, The reason you should go to a buyer's agent is because the buyer's agent will protect you and they'll keep you in mind as to protecting you and your interests. And if you go to the listing agent, he is protecting the seller. He's not looking out for your best interest but the buyer's agent will be looking after your best interest. Uh, this commission, remember, you're you're not collecting any commission from the buyer's agent when you're working with a buyer's agent. So there's no that he's not he's collecting commissions from the seller's agent. He's not collecting commissions from you as the client. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. And what else is a big benefit of me having a buyer's agent, especially in today's market. Well, the buyer's agent is going to guide you through the whole process, hold your hand throughout the whole process, whether it's uh, uh, inspections, whether it's appraisals and all that stuff. So he's going to guide you from from beginning to end, and he's going to be communicating with your lender to make sure he's doing his job correctly and communicating with the title company. Now, if you go directly to the so, seller, he has to do that plus he has to look after his seller. So there are going to be things, not saying that every agent does it, but there are going to be things that are going to be falling on the wayside and that may not benefit you at all. So so is it going to be good for me to have you as my buyer's agent so you can talk to the title company and make sure that the listing agent is, you know, because obviously, like you said, he's going to be talking more about the right. seller and... If I wanted to know if this house, you know, is right for me or it falls in line with my home right. needs, 
would that be good for me to have you on my side, man, to kind of guide absolutely, me better? Absolutely. Because right? remember, the yeah. seller's agent is locked into that particular house. So if this house doesn't make sense for you as a buyer's agent, I'm going to let you know. I don't think this house checks off all your boxes. So let's try house number. But if you like it, if you love it, obviously I'm going to do what you say. But at the end of the day, I don't think these this house fits all your needs. But I, I try not to say that too much because of the fact that, you know, people see something that they didn't think they wanted before, but they want now. Once they look at more homes. And just to, ju- just to jump off that, help me here just to kind of wrap this up. But what you're saying essentially is I would be emotional when I'm buying because I'm in yeah. love with the house. But you're going to be the guy in the back looking through the piping, looking through the plumbing, all looking that. through all the dirty right. secrets and telling me, hey, this man, listen, pretty. <laughs> this house has, but it's going to cost you 50 extra guaranteed repairs, exactly. right? Exactly. And so- that, that was my point, you know, and I would like to say that Mohit is one of the best agents I've worked with. He's amazing. His knowledge, his expertise is 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 amazing. Like it, it's, it's really cool to have someone like him to bounce just random ideas off because it helps me, even in my lending, guide clients better. So I think it's a very important thing for everybody to have access to you, man. How can people call you? How Let's can they do know where it. you Let's are, do man? It. We want to hear from you. I like that. I like that segue to the exit. <laughs> Uh, we want to hear from you guys you can reach us on our moving to florida show hotline by dropping a voicemail or texting to 407-900-5859 or drop us a dm on facebook or instagram at moving to florida show and for twitter our handle is at moving to fl show if you'd like to connect with us if you have any questions or if you need a realtor or a lender in florida you can reach us at moving to florida show at gmail.com be sure to subscribe to the show if you like our content so that it would automatically download to your device and get you one step closer to moving to Florida.